Assalamualaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming live at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you from the wonderful city. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to have to catch myself on that because I just had to pay almost $700 to get a boot off my car. But it's still home, right? So we're going to say wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but more importantly, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. If this is your first time joining us, you're going to want to catch up with all those wonderful interviews, interesting and insightful interviews that you have missed out on. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, for those of you who may not want to tweet at us or post on our Facebook page, you can just give us an old-fashioned phone call throughout the course of tonight's show. So if you got a question or comment you'd like to interject into the conversation, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. All right, family. Um, forgive me for my, my interruption, my little rant, uh, but I'm still a little sore about that. We'll talk about that uh, in, in the coming days. We won't, we won't waste time with that tonight. Uh, <laughs> But I'm still sore. All right, fam. Tonight, uh, we are joined in studio. I'm going to hit this tweet button. We are joined in studio by Mick Dumkey. Uh, he is a reporter for ProPublica, Illinois. He came to ProPublica after two years on the Watchdogs team at the Chicago Sun-Times, where he reported on the dismantling of public housing, the impacts of the state budget crisis on prisoner reentry, and the police department's use of a secret watch list. Very important. Now, before that, he spent almost a decade as a politics writer and editor for the Chicago Reader. And among his investigations, he reported on racial disparities in drug enforcement and the privatization of Chicago's parking meter system and other public assets. This is all just just registering with me just deeply. Uh, He has also worked as a reporter and editor at the Chicago Reporter magazine, taught social studies at an alternative high school, and studied religion at Northwestern University and McCormick Theological Seminary. Welcome to Radio Islam, Nick. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. You know, um, as I'm reading, looking at your bio, I'm wondering, I just want to throw this out before we get into the discussion about the uh, gang database. Um, Have you worked with TSJ? With? Uh, uh, Teachers for Social Justice? Just wondering. I haven't. No, okay. not, not right. with that particular organization. All right. No, just looking, no. it just seemed like you'd be just a perfect fit for the work, <laughs> the uh, great work that they do. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to be ignorant there. Um, no, it's great. I, 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 I think what you're politely, diplomatically saying, I've been around for a while. And uh, <laughs> so like all of us who've been around doing yeah. stuff for a while, um, you can go on and on about the things you've seen in this city. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so... Um, this database, this gang database that uh, some people may be aware of and some may not be aware uh, as to when it began. Uh, so w- would you kind of give give the Radio Slam family, uh, the listeners, a bit of uh, just just a, a, a brief overview of what this database is? Sure. And if I get uh, a little long winded, which I'm sometimes uh, (laughs) have a tendency to do, please jump in, uh, interrupt me, ask a question, whatever. Uh, But no, it's a a great question. A lot of people who are even um, on the gang database uh, probably don't know, probably most people don't know that they're in this database. Mm -hmm. Um, When we speak of Chicago, the Chicago Police Department's gang database, it's really kind of shorthand for. probably several sets of data that they maintain. Um, Chicago police, like most other law enforcement agencies, uh, other big city agencies, the state police, the Cook County Sheriff's Office, um, have huge warehouses of data that they're keeping. And one of them is, uh, is basically what we're calling a gang database. They are tracking people um, that they deem to be affiliated with gangs. Mm-hmm. And they come up with this information in several different ways. Obviously, if they arrest someone, uh, they will uh, 
ask them about their gang affiliation. Uh, they say that sometimes people volunteer their gang affiliation. Mm-hmm. They will look to see if there are tattoos or markings or other outward signs. They have a list of criteria that they that the police use to uh, determine whether they think someone's in a gang. And uh, sometimes they'll enter some information like this based just on a stop, uh, whether it's a, an investigatory stop on the street, uh, whether it's a traffic stop, any encounter with the person, they could potentially be collecting this information. So over what we found out is that over uh, the last several decades, they've just continued to add names. And so at this point in time, they have um, more than 128,000 entries in their data system of people they consider to be affiliated with gangs. Hmm. Now, when you say they document, uh, they're looking for uh, tattoos and uh, things of that nature to, to indicate that this is a, a gang uh, member. Are they simply documenting or are they also taking photographs? Is there a photographic record that's also part of this database? In some instances, they are taking photographs. I mean, if someone is uh, booked, um, if someone okay. is incarcerated, there are definitely photographs taken oh, sure. at, at different stages, whether it's at the, the Cook County Jail or in the Illinois State Prison System. Um, what the Chicago police do on a given interaction, I don't think it's consistent. And I think that's one of the many issues uh, that swirl around this this database and the questions about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the standard? I mean, what you're kind of getting at is is how is the documentation done? Right. Even if they have a set of rules for determining what they consider to be a gang member, how do they document? How do they classify that system? And I think, um, from what I understand, the Chicago Police Department, it isn't always consistent, which is a real problem because, you know, Setting aside for a second the many other questions about people's civil liberties and civil rights, um, is the information accurate? I right. mean, is it even quality information? And right. I don't think we can answer that question uh, with a definitive yes, which is the first and, and first major problem, I think, here. I mean, when it comes to uh, gang affiliation or being labeled as a gang member, particularly in inner city neighborhoods, uh, that is a that is a far reach, in my opinion, to to put somebody on a list because they are affiliated. And I think the affiliation is one of the uh, that that's one of the the items that they look for, right? To to put somebody on this list. Yeah. Are you are you uh, basically? There's a couple things that are think are pretty open ended as I see it, and kind of get at what you're saying. Um, are you known to be associates with someone who is also known to be in a gang member? Have you been identified by someone else as a gang member if this person has been, quote unquote, reliable in the past? Mm-hmm. And even even if these are rules that are, are written down and the police department have to have even in the instances where they have to say, well, this is how we determine this person was a gang member, you can see where the, these things are potentially full of holes, or at least they're, they're very subjective, um, where right. one officer may determine that this is solid and another person doesn't think it's good enough. Right. And in fact, I've uh, you know, had uh, police I've spoken with, um, including someone I know who works um, in a gang unit, and uh, he says he really uses the database. He thinks it's a good reference, but he goes and double checks everything. He there would be no enforcement based on this because he doesn't think the information is reliable enough, mm-hmm. but he thinks it's potentially a lead that he wants to follow up on. Um, others see it as a little bit more solid than that, but um, you're absolutely right. There's all sorts of questions about you know how good is this and what kind of a judgment call did the person make who entered it into the system? Yeah, because the first thing I think about is, you know, I grew up in the Inglewood neighborhood and... Um, who didn't, I mean, there was no one in that neighborhood that did not know someone who was in a gang. Uh, and, and I think the activity at that point was probably lesser than it is today, but we always, you know, sometimes there's a tendency to romanticize or not see the, <laughs> the, 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 the totality of, you know, of a problem uh, in our own past. But, um, yeah, but anybody would have would have been placed on the list. And who knows, because I've never checked. I don't know if I'm on the list. Right. right. And, and you know, I, th- I think if anyone out there listening, you or anyone else who's listening is curious about that, that you should 
get in touch with the police department. You should send in a freedom of information request to ask that information about yourself. Right. Um, because uh, to be clear, the, the information I have, and I eventually got a copy of this database, but it doesn't include anybody's names or personal identification. Um, under privacy rules, they won't give that to me or they won't release it to the public, and, and that's understandable. On the other hand, uh, one of the real issues here, the other issues is the issue of transparency because right. if this thing is used in some way, shape, or form for law enforcement or for investigations, but people don't even know it exists, I mean – there are real questions about whether people's due process rights are being violated under those uh, circumstances. One other thing real quick, mm -hmm. you know, uh, guessing you and I are sort of probably in the same age, age range, mm -hmm. you know, from what I understand, um, 20, 25, 30 years ago, gangs were structured much different, oh, much yeah. differently. And totally. so there may have even been clearer lines about who was affiliated back then um, and who wasn't, whereas now when things are so factionalized and a lot of people who are affiliated, you know, shift on a regular basis mm -hmm. um, or the geographies shift on such a regular basis, that I think is another issue where even if law enforcement are really trying hard to get quality information and to use it the right way here, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a, a Cook County uh, correctional officer tell me, it's just really difficult for them to keep track of it because it just changes so often. So even if it was accurate when they entered it into a database, it might not be accurate in a couple months. Right, right. Now, with regard to uh, transparency as to who has access to this information, what comes to mind is as when, when a person fills out an application for, for a job or uh, we have to we have to submit our information for background checks all the time. Whether you're looking to uh, to lease uh, an apartment, right. uh, anything, could this database also be shared with you know with potential uh, landlords or employers? You, you know, you see where I'm going. Absolutely, it's not the the answer is it's not supposed to be, but could it be? Yes, mm -hmm. and, and I'll explain. Uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can explaining. Um, in theory, this database and also there are others uh, maintained by the state police, the Cook County Sheriff's Office, uh, they all have rules for who has access to this information. It's supposed to be essentially limited to other law enforcement agencies. But um, what's the definition of a law enforcement agency? For, for example, the, the Illinois State Police has its own gang database with more than 90,000 names on it. Yeah. And... Um, I got a list of all the agencies that have access to this information. They both can see it and they can enter information in themselves. And there are more than 1,500 agencies in the state of Illinois that can access this information. And they range from, wow. of course, other police departments, mm -hmm. as you might expect, but also um, they range, they include offices within agencies like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, the Chicago Housing Authority's Office of Inspector General can look at this. And the list goes on and on. I mean, there are some private uh some private safety agencies like at universities. The Moody Bible Institute uh, Department of Public Safety can get access to this uh, database. And I'm not trying to pick on the Moody Bible Institute, but it's just an example. This is a, this is a private agency that can access this information. Right. Um, so when you're asking about, let, let's say, housing, someone applies uh, for housing through the Chicago Housing Authority, the screening process is not supposed to include um, any reference to the gang database, any looking at it. But uh, if the Office of Inspector General can access this information, would there be some circumstance where an investigation could occur and they could get at this? I mean, you can, again, you can see where this goes, yeah. um, as you were saying. So I think one of the real issues is, we said the first issue is accuracy or quality control. One of the other issues is access. How many people, if there are 1,500 agencies, and I think there are you know, around the same number of access to um, the Chicago Police Department, or at least it's hundreds. So hundreds of agencies and multiple people in each of these agencies, you can just see right. where this information, how widely it can be disseminated. And some of those are private, as you mentioned. Some of them are private. Right. They're supposed to be law enforcement agencies only accessing this for uh, 
law enforcement reference purposes. But when you have this many people who can get in on it, um, you know, is there a possibility it seeps out or it's used in a way that it's it's not supposed to? Of course. Right. Right. Now, um, how did you what was your foray into the uh, gang database uh, into reporting on that? I started looking specifically at the gang database, um, coming at it from a couple different angles. For one thing, um, way back when, we're talking like uh, 25 uh, years ago, I was an alternative schools teacher um, on the south side, and most of the students I worked with um, had been kicked out of CPS and were uh, – they were either trying to get their lives back together or they were ordered by um, someone in their life to uh, to go to the school. But uh, many of them were uh, were affiliated with gangs at that time. And so I was kind of forced to get a little bit of an education um, circa mid-90s yeah. uh, about what was going on. And so I've always just been concerned um, about uh, the, f- you know, the opportunities given to or uh, not given to young people in our city. Um, And so that sort of has been looming in the background the whole time I've been a working journalist. Specifically on this issue, I, over the last few years, have been looking at um, issues of what I consider civil liberties issues, um, police surveillance, uh, the collection of data, and and these secret lists. There's another list that the Chicago Police Department maintained called the Strategic Subject List, or the SSL, Mm -hmm. which you heard for a while. um, Superintendent Johnson was talking about it quite a bit when we had a big spike in violence a couple years ago, saying um, we're keeping track of people who are most likely to either be uh, violent offenders or victims of violent crime. And they had this computer algorithm which supposedly helped them identify people. So I did some work at the Sun-Times trying to get more information about that. And that ended up leading to this gang database issue. Because, how, difficult, yeah. how difficult was it to get that information? Because I assume you would have to FOIA uh, all, the, all those requests. Um, how, how hard was that? It was difficult. And you're exactly right. Um, both in the instance of the strategic subject list and in the gang database, mm-hmm. uh, there was a process that covered many months of me submitting many FOIA requests and then having to resubmit them when they got rejected and and having to appeal them to the Illinois Attorney General's office um, to say, hey, I think the police department here is not complying with the freedom of information law. Right. Um, and, and in both cases, over time, I eventually sort of negotiated or a position or, or tried to put the police department in a position where they had to produce something. I said, uh, well, just give me the data, take the names off because they kept saying, we can't give you the names. Okay. Well, give me the rest of the data. So we at least we can see the kind of information you're keeping. Right. And that's what we eventually got. Okay. All right. Now, what was the, um, with regard to, uh, whether superintendent Johnston, whether the, uh, uh, the mayor, uh, uh, any police official, are they are they trying to present this as a matter of crime prevention, or is this? Well, I can't say public health, but is that how they're trying to present it? Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, uh, they want to say we have a problem uh, with gun violence here, and that uh, street organizations, street gangs, are. Um, you know, if not solely responsible for that problem, are certainly a part of that problem. And it's their responsibility to keep track of who's associating with whom and who's fighting with whom. Hmm. Um, And I actually think most of the public understands that or or agrees with them. Hmm. Uh, I think it's a question of what we keep coming back to, who goes on this list and why. So just a couple things, the police department's gang database, what we do know, it has more than 128,000 names going back to, like I said, uh, the 80s and even before. Um, there are people on the list who are supposedly in their 70s, their 80s. I found uh, people who are down in the database who are in their hundreds. Uh, a couple people, several people who are supposedly 132 years old on this database. So shot callers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old heads, right? <laughs> yeah. So either their gang banging days are long behind them, or that's a, a factual error. And either one of those things is problematic. Right. Um, 
So, so who's so who is responsible, or is there an effort to uh, to uh, to to go through and vet the names that are on this list? If we've got over a hundred thousand names there, and you say you got people that are over a hundred years old, right? Um, what's the likelihood of? Well, I don't want to ask two questions at once. Whose whose responsibility is this to maintain this uh, this uh, database? Well. The police department, I don't know specifically who within the police department is responsible for it, but um, there are a lot of different people who can enter the information in. I mean, if uh, an officer working a beat, making a, a, a street stop to interview someone, um, which, by the way, the bar is very low for when you can stop someone as a law enforcement official and interview them, yeah. you they don't have to have... Uh, committed a crime or be suspected of a crime. You just have to have a reason to conduct an investigatory stop to start asking them questions. Right. Um, and so if information gleaned from that conversation can be entered in the database, you just start thinking about it. I mean, there's, you know, there's uh, the whole police force has what, like twelve or 13,000 people. And yeah. Uh, I don't know the exact roster count of sworn officers at this point, but the point is there's thousands of people who can enter information into the system. Mm-hmm. So your question is who is going back and doing quality control? Who's vetting saying this is no good, this is too old? Exactly. I don't know. I don't know if anyone has been doing that. I think that's one of the real questions and concerns here. All right. So how difficult um, – do you know how a person can get themselves off the list once they're on? Well, to this point, I don't think there's been any kind of a formal process to get people off. It's uh, sort of you're on, you're on for life. Um, with the with the attention that's been given to over the last few months, uh, the police have said they're starting to change that, and they're going and they're, they say they're working on formal policies. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I should mention is that there have been several people who have come forward, some of whom have filed a civil rights lawsuit against the police department, saying. Uh, or, or giving specific ways in which they say their rights were violated by being on this list. A couple of individuals who um, came here with their parents or their families uh, undocumented have had immigration proceedings uh, initiated against them because the uh, immigrant federal in, in, excuse me federal immigration officials said, you know, you are a gang member according to information that we have, so we are going to target you as a priority. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have been caught up in the immigration system. There are people who have said they've lost out on job opportunities. There are people, um, I've spoken to an individual who said he's been denied a concealed carry license uh, based on an arrest, which was later um, not proven in court. He was found not guilty, or I don't even know if the charges were uh, ended up being brought against him. But the, the point is that he was never found guilty of anything, yet right. he was denied a concealed carry permit, um, a resident of Englewood, where you said you grew up, mm-hmm. uh, who um, now is fighting to get that right back to him. And he says he was wrongly put on this list. So there's a wide range of, uh, of people and instances where we've seen how this has come into play. Yeah, and, and one one scenario comes to mind is if a person is, and I'm always looking at not necessarily those who, who are actually legitimate, uh, not just gang members, right, but those who have uh, maybe committed a violent crime. I'm looking at those people who have been put on this list, uh, and they have been, they've been, th- they've basically been lumped in, Um and one of the scenarios that really concerns me in this environment that we are in right now, where there is such a uh, hesitancy and a um, th- there's a worry that comes with being stopped by the police when you're a person of color, sure, uh, particularly for our young men, uh, is if you're on that if you're on that database, and they you happen to be stopped by the police and they pull your name up and they see that you're going to be responded to, you're going to be dealt with. Uh, it, it prejudices that officer uh, against you. And, you know, the, the outcome, it could be, you know, we, we could have a really uh, bad outcome from things like that because people, if they look at it as, as, a, as, a, as a tool, as a reliable tool, then they're looking at a threat as opposed to looking at um, just looking at a citizen. 
I, I completely agree with you. And one thing I neglected to say a minute ago, I was trying to look up the exact number here, mm -hmm. uh, but the vast majority of people on the Chicago police departments in the Chicago police departments gang database are people of color. 70% are, are black and 25% are Hispanic, mm -hmm. um, which only leaves, uh, 5% for anybody else. Right. Um, and, the Cook County Sheriff's, uh, the database they maintain, um, has more white people in it, but it also is uh, has officials from Indiana, Wisconsin, who add data to it. Um, and so one of the concerns about this is, is what kind of a gang or what kind of a gang member in your mind are you actually trying to track? If you're mm. uh, the only person you think is potentially a public safety threat is someone who lives in a handful of, uh, you know, majority black or majority Hispanic communities in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, what about white supremacy organizations, for instance? Yeah, um, sure. You know, what, what about uh, people who sympathize with, uh, you know, terrorist organizations, for instance? Yeah. Why aren't they in this database? Um, so all those questions remain. And, and I agree with you when it comes down to a stop, it's... Uh, you know, there, there's a there's also a chicken and an egg kind of thing here. So so what started first? Um, because maybe the stop was the reason they're in the database. Then the next time <laughs> they get stopped, uh, they're in the database. And so there's a reason right. to have stopped them. And, and it can be very circular here. Right, right. All right. Uh, Radio Sound family, if you are just tuning in, we're talking with Mick Dumkey. He is a reporter with ProPublica. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we need to get into some of these other lists that also exist. Yeah. So we'll be back in just a minute. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So, um... We don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We've got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org.
Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are just tuning in, we remind you that you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or TuneIn, or any other platform you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Tonight, we are joined in studio by Mick Dumkey. He is a reporter for, Pu- Pu- for ProPublica, uh, and we've been talking about Chicago's gang database. Um, now, this is a, an extremely, um, I should hope that we all think this is this is an important conversation um, when we were talking about surveillance and documentation of any group of individuals uh, in society this really it makes me think of uh, uh, it's a reason to be concerned right uh, there can be some benefit in these things but quite often we know when any one segment is 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 um, is, is corralled one sec uh, one segment is focused on uh, we end up with some very very questionable uh, outcomes so let's let's talk a bit about uh, public surveillance and uh, the police interaction with with uh, legal and um, uh, nonviolent protests and organizing um, in our conversation off off the air you gave me a number which really surprised me. I was surprised to hear that we have as many uh, databases um, uh, as we do. Could you talk a bit about that? Well, yeah. There, in addition to the gang database, and we, we mentioned a minute ago, um, the uh, strategic subject list that the police department maintains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what other databases there are. Yeah. We, we've all heard about uh, the federal government having a no-fly list. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there are a lot of different, uh, there, there's so much data that's collected. And I, I think that's the issue. And, and right, like right. you said, um, this is both potentially a great benefit to the public and public safety um, to try to keep track. Because let's face it, if something were to happen on the streets of Chicago, if there were some sort of attack or something, then everyone would say, well, where was law enforcement? Why didn't they catch it? Sure. So I'm, I'm always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, people are going to be, uh, uh, you know, people, people want some of this, but mm-hmm. I completely agree with the way you described it, that anytime massive amounts of data are being collected, anytime particular groups are being identified or people are being put into groups right. for the purpose of having information collected, I think we'd need to shed a light on it. And um, while respecting, uh, you know, wh- while respecting that there is uh, there are arguments on behalf of, of doing some of these investigations, um, I don't think we're in danger of knowing too much about the surveillance and the data collection that's going yeah. on. I really don't. Yeah, so. and I, I, I agree. I think that point of transparency with regard to how data is being collected, who is being collected on, and who's who's using it, right. um, I think that is a uh, that's a, a really uh, salient point that has to be brought up. Because I'm also, I know that there is a, there, there's a balance, right? Public safety, and we also want to maintain our civil liberties. Uh, which seem to be encroached on um, absolutely quite quite a bit. Um, the police with our with our consent. Right? Yes. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now that's uh, ergo the um, Patriot Act. Right. Right. Um, and of course, uh, if the public confidence is shaken uh, enough, then people are more uh, than happy to trade in their freedoms, their liberties, for the feeling of safety. I, I agree. And, and, you know, I think this is a really important point that um, I think the information about the gang database that's coming out and our attempts to learn more about it, the gang databases, because there's many of them, sure. um, 
it is about more than gangs. And, and that's a point I think everybody should know. Right. You know, if you're out there thinking I'm not in a gang, I don't live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of visible gang activity. This doesn't really have much to do with me. Maybe I'm sympathetic on some level mm-hmm. with some of the philosophical issues you're talking about. Uh, okay. But I, I see this as just, this is very emblematic. This is sort of what's happening in Chicago because Chicago has so many issues, both with violence and with racism and, and racial mm-hmm. segregation. And uh, so the issue we're weighing here are uh, gang databases. In other places, right. there are other kinds of databases that are that are being maintained. And so mm-hmm. um, I agree with you. I think it's important to, even while we're talking about all the nitty-gritty of this stuff, to take a step back and explain why we think this is so important, why I want to call people's attention to it, even if you don't think this affects you directly right now. Right. Yeah, there is the impact on people's perception. Right. Uh, and and within that, the unintentional or intentional, whatever, but the uh, eventual outcome is a demonization of those who you would associate or assume to be on that list. So if we're, you know, and, and to say it plainly, it's the demonization of, of black and brown uh, um, young men in particular uh, that we would associate with the violence that we attribute back to the existence of gangs. Uh, and not really taking that deep dive into the contributing factors to that violence that takes place in these communities, you know, whether it be like a social services, education, uh, you know, employment. Right. Uh, there's there's quite a bit that we can get into uh, with regard to that. So, um, yeah, and I, I think the other part of that is that a, a relief that people in other communities feel that they're not part of this, and yes. and so there's a tendency to. Uh, not want to get involved because um, I'm not a Muslim, so I'm not really worried about not being on the about being on the no-fly list. I'm, uh, you know, I'm white. I live on the north side. Uh, the gang database, you know, maybe I don't like the sound of it, but it really doesn't affect me, and I'm kind of relieved about that. Right. Um, so I think one of the things we one of the things that I, you know, I do or try to do is to shine a light on this because I think what the points you're making are very important that ultimately it's going to be somebody else the next time around. Sure, sure. Now, how are police interacting with uh, organized protest? How are they um, – is there a particular met- uh, methodology that they're using with regard to how they surveil large groups of people? Um, and, and we're moving away necessarily from the from the from the gang uh, database. Sure. But, you know, we can talk about, you know, Occupy, the Occupy movement, you know, some years back. And um, we talking about uh, the NATO. Right. 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 Since. Uh, well, what we know is uh, what I've found out through my my work is that since Mayor Manuel took office in 2011, there are at least five instances in which the Chicago police have opened. Um, information gathering investigations, which I would paraphrase or which I would translate as spying Mm -hmm. in which they've spied on protest groups, people who were not on the police radar other than the fact that they were out exercising their First Amendment rights for various reasons. And the list you're right includes uh, the anti-NATO demonstrators, um, the Occupy movement, we just have had some Dan Ryan pro- a Dan Ryan protest and may have a Lakeshore Drive protest coming up. But in 2014, the police um, opened an investigation into uh, Black Lives Matter and post-Ferguson protesters who had um, moved on to the Dan Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Youth Project um, and, and other Black Lives Matter-affiliated groups have been spied on. And then most recently, uh, in early 2017, uh, protesters outside Trump Tower on Inauguration Day, the police opened an investigation into keeping tabs on them. Mm-hmm. And these are just the ones where um, I've been able to come across paperwork where they, the police department uh, essentially authorized themselves. They, they filled out paperwork to say, hey, uh, we understand people's First Amendment First Amendment rights. They have, they have the right to go out and say whatever they want to say. But we, in the interest of public safety, are going to keep tabs on them. And we're going to just check this thing out. Um, and they come up with a reason to justify doing that. So at least five times that they've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
every protest of any size, they are keeping tabs on. There are so many cameras. There's a network of cameras. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen the emails where uh, the police departments, uh, basically the people keeping an eye on at the police department and the Office of Emergency Communications in city government, they're keeping an eye on these camera networks. They're sending dispatches to city hall where – uh, if not the mayor, then uh, his chief of staff and other top aides are getting this dispatches. So um, everybody, if you're out there in public protesting, you're being watched. There's no doubt about that. And I remember uh, there was a protest uh, not long after um, Laquan McDonald uh, was killed, going right down Michigan Avenue. Right. And I remember seeing, I mean, it was out in the open. I remember seeing police with cameras. Sure. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, taking pictures. Now, what concerns me uh, even more so, and I think it should it should definitely resonate with, uh, with, the, with our listeners, is that with the advent of facial recognition software, it is not just about your picture. You know, it's not, you know, it's not an innocuous thing, uh, having a picture in a stranger. Now it is, once your picture is out there, it's pretty easy if you're on any type of social media to... Find out exactly who you are, especially if you're talking about law enforcement agencies that are connected, you know, this web of information that they have access to. You're, you know, you consented to being in a public space, but right. you didn't consent to being on anybody's uh, list. But that's exactly where you, you, you end up. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely if you're in a public space, there's a good chance uh, that um, some sort of data is being collected on you. People are watching uh, your social media posts. If they're public, there's the police definitely they go through them, see yeah. the records of this, they they track things, um, they read people's Facebook posts. Uh, I, I haven't come across an instance where they um, got access to look into somebody's posts who might that might be uh, private, but anything that's out there, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, uh, "Look, it's people are." posting this publicly why wouldn't we do this are you saying we shouldn't keep track of hundreds or thousands of people marching down a public street and um you know uh, of course they're going to do that but i think the question again as with the data collection is where are the lines drawn what are the rules that are in place Mm -hmm. if the police department's lawyers can basically give themselves permission to open one of these investigations into groups that have committed no crime, not suspected of committing a crime, uh, are only planning to get out and demonstrate, then, uh, you know, where are the safeguards? And I think those are the kinds of questions that need to keep being raised. Yeah. Uh, How closely does CPD work with or share info with the FBI, to uh, your knowledge? That's um, a question I haven't explored in great detail, and I don't don't know. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I know around the case of people may remember you and I were talking off the air about the around the NATO protests. There was a a group of uh, protesters uh, dubbed the NATO five. Later, it was uh, became the NATO three when a couple of the individuals had the charges dismissed. Um, These were guys who were uh, um, allegedly planning to. prepare bombs, um, right. Molotov cocktails, uh, more specifically. I think at one point in time, they supposedly had a plan to shoot arrows at Rahm Emanuel's house or stuff. It all, when you looked a little closely, it was uh, came across as a bunch of uh, guys who'd hit the bong a few too many times who were kind of uh, talking uh, some, some real crazy nonsense. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that, you know, people uh, – who get stoned and uh, talk crazy, don't do crazy things sometimes. I get that. But uh, the charges ended up coming across to most observers as uh, way inflated. But I bring that up because um, the police department had undercover officers who were infiltrating some of the anti-NATO groups at that time. Mm -hmm. They were infiltrated groups, if you remember when – Rahm Emanuel's first budget closed mental health clinics. Yep. Um, the police infiltrated some of the groups protesting the mental health clinic closures. And um, this is a long way of answering your question because I came across some instances at least where there were also federal agents who were uh, poking around, um, around the NATO protests uh, for sure. And uh, 
I seem to remember seeing some documentation where it looked like there was some information sharing there, but it wasn't, it wasn't very solid. So I didn't, I'm bringing it up because, um, you know, it was a NATO as an international event. I think people would be shocked if there weren't federal agents crawling around Chicago around that time. And if they weren't communicating with Chicago police, but it's an example. Um, so it, it definitely does happen. And what are the circumstances? Um, I, I don't know specifically if they have a partner sharing agreement or if it's an ongoing thing, but um, yeah, well, I do. Ahead. I do know that there there's always um, inter um, agency or department cooperation, um, particularly Chicago being one of the the premier cities uh, in the nation. There is a there is definitely a relationship with the FBI. Yeah. Um, you know, Chicago, L.A., New York. Uh, the, the the bigger um, you know metro, uh, metropolitan areas there there would obviously but of course uh, I'm saying that but I, I still don't know uh, as well, well no what the your level point of com- what the level of communication is with right. regard to something like your, this. your point is well made and I, I actually forgot about something very important um, some of the cameras where this information is collected about protests and stuff is done by um, at, a, at a place within the police department called the Crime Prevention Information Center. CPIC is what it's called. And okay. CPIC is uh, what's known as a fusion center. And there are, there are uh, fusion centers all over the country that were created after 9-11 um, to do exactly what you're discussing. And these centers, like the one in Chicago, uh, are staffed not just by Chicago police, but by other law enforcement agencies, including uh, federal agents from the FBI, from Homeland Security as well. Um, so we know that there are people right now who are actually um, at this the center who are monitoring an intake of information from cameras and stuff and uh, communicating with one another. So on a daily basis, it's happening. Um, when does it rise to a level where they're conducting an investigation on particular groups and stuff? I think that's more what I'm saying and what you're saying, right. too. We don't right. really know in, in most cases. And then there's something else that I, I'm personally concerned about, and that is the the use of our law enforcement agencies to open investigations and to uh, enter the citizenry when people stand up and say, look, we don't like what you've done, right? You mentioned uh, after the mental health uh, center closings that you had people that said, you know, we don't like this and we're going to protest. For the response to be, we're going to open an investigation into you for, for protesting uh, and, and you have not made any types of uh, any, any type of uh, violence uh, statements or actions, anything, but to use our uh, use our police you know, basically, you know, kind of sicken the police on uh, on these people, and and you're vilifying those who use their uh, who engage their First Amendment rights. Right. That's that's problematic. Yeah, that's because problematic. I think I think what you're you're getting at is this gets into um, uh, whether it's criminal invest criminal intent or or potential criminal activity that's being investigated, or whether it's political activity that's being investigated. Yes. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Chicago, as um, as with the federal government and, and other law enforcement agencies around the country, has this awful history of political dissidents being investigated by law enforcement officials. Uh, right. the, the, the Red Squad, this uh, division within the police department for decades under uh, the first Mayor Daley and other mayors investigated various dissident groups. Um, uh, most people, of course, know this, the, the sordid history of uh, the federal government, the FBI's um, investigation into the Black Panthers. Yeah, and other, Pro and Exactly. Yeah. Other yeah. civil rights organizations. I mean, mm-hmm. um, at one point in time, a recording uh, of Martin Luther King that w- that captured him in a uh, a very compromising position with one of his girlfriends. Uh, right. The FBI took the secret recording and sent the recording to his home, mm-hmm. just you know, not saying who it's from, of course, just to scare him and his wife and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a long history of these kinds of uh, over this kind of overreach by law enforcement agency into the realm of politics. That's uh, uh, that's just simply not constitutional. So yeah, we should definitely yeah. be keeping our eyes on it. Yeah. So we want, uh, and I think we we agree on this. We want our police to um, to be committed to public safety, crime prevention. Uh, we want that. 
right, uh, and to use whatever tools are at their disposal uh, to do that. But we do not want this encroachment onto our civil liberties, and we'd like some transparency uh, in, in the way that they go about that. Um, as much as is possible, uh, that's not going to inhibit the outcome. Um, and, of course, some of the stuff can get, get muddy, um, but I'm, I am on the side of um, I'm looking at the history. I'm looking at right. the history of what we've seen and I, in, the, in the worst case uh, scenario and don't want to see that play itself out again, um, you know, in the present or in the future. So um, I think there's tension. There has to be tension in order for us to to not go down that, that road again, even though we're probably already going down the road. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think we're there. I think, yeah, yeah I think we're well yeah. on the road. I agree with yeah, you. I think that's and, textbook. And uh, agree with everything you said. I, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who uh, uh, says that, you know, you, you, you can do away with the whole police department and, and stuff like that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not there. But as a, as a journalist, um, I'm just trying to document what's going on. I don't know the answers. Let's be honest. Right. Uh, um, people listening would probably say, yeah, we agree. You don't know the answers. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, no, no, very few of us know the answers. I certainly don't. And uh, I think the discussion is really important. You're right to, to make yeah. sure that we're aware of the tensions here. Yeah. Well, Mick, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, and, and sharing your, your insight and your, your work with us. Um, would you let the uh, Radio Slam family know how they can keep up with you and, and, uh, and ProPublica? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. What a, a, a opportunity to have a, a great conversation and get beyond the headlines and really yeah. uh, try to put our brains around some complicated issues. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you can keep track of me. My uh, uh, ProPublica Illinois, My all my contact information is at our website. You can find that easily. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Mickey D 1971, which dates me pretty badly, uh, pretty obviously. Um, but it is what it is. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'd love to hear people's feedback and feed people's tips. Okay. Well, I hope we can have you on again in the uh, near future. Anytime. I'd love to. Thanks. All right. Radio Sun family. We have been talking with Mick Dunkey, reporter for ProPublica, Illinois. Uh, and we've discussed, we've talked about the, uh, the gang database and, uh, and a bit more. So if you missed it, if you're just tuning in right now, you can check it out wherever you get your podcast, most likely tomorrow. Look for us at Radio Slam USA. Uh, so at this point, we want to go ahead and thank our engineer over at WCEV, Leonard. Thank you very much, sir, for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, and producer, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that being said, folks, we look forward to seeing you again or talking to you again at the same time tomorrow night. So we're going to leave you now as we greeted, as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.